Hello and welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown. Shepherd Walwyn is a campaigning book publisher based in London, England. Our purpose is to uncover and promote new ideas to society's oldest problems. And whilst our specialty is ethical economics, something Anthony Werner, our driving force for over 40 years, has pioneered, we have branched out over the years to other related areas such as the environment and the lives and works of society's change agents. These podcasts promote ideas we're convinced can actually help us build a better society for all of us. So have a listen and be sure to share with your friends if you like them, but also tell us what you think. These are debates we all need to be part of. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Today's author is Dr. Eddie Billamoria. Eddie is joining us for what will become a series of conversations to celebrate and explore his extraordinary four-volume, 1,200-page magnus opus, Unfolding Consciousness exploring the living universe and intelligent powers in nature and humans. Eddie was born in India and educated at the universities of London, Sussex and Oxford, and he presents an unusual blend of experience in the fields of science, engineering, art and philosophy. He's worked as a consultant in many industries, including oil and gas, aerospace and construction, and he's been a project manager and head of design for major innovative projects such as the Channel Tunnel, London Underground Systems and other off-store installations. A student of the perennial philosophy for over four decades, he has given courses and lectures extensively around the world. He's organised and chaired several major conferences, and his written work has been published extensively in the fields of science, engineering and the esoteric philosophy. And on top of all of this, he is also an accomplished concert pianist. Unfolding Consciousness is a culmination of a life's work and has already garnered much critical acclaim. In this interview, we're going to explore his life story and how he came to write such a book. Eddie, I just wonder if you could be- begin by briefly telling our viewers what the book is about. Thank you, Jonathan. I'd be very delighted to do that, and I'm very grateful for this interview with you. The purpose of the book, or the series of books, is really to restore the human being in humanity. By that I mean the current scientific outlook is very much towards a view that we are merely biological machines or the latest uh, edict coming from uh, the likes of um, Yuval Harari at the World Economic Forum in 2020 is that we should now forget about the fact that we are mysterious souls. We are hackable animals, and that's all we are. In other words, as he puts it, we are a biological machine in need of an upgraded operating system with computing power and a lot of data. So my central purpose is to show what a human being really is, with evidence drawn from enlightened science, from philosophy, from religion, and from art. The role of art and science is very, very important. And we're here um, in your music room with a beautiful Steinway, which I hope we may get to hear um, in a little while. So do know that you're a concert pianist as well as an engineer. Um, So I'm very keen to get into that. So... And it's an inter- it's an integration then of, of science, of art, of philosophy. 
Yes, it is an integration of that, but most importantly, it is pointing to their source. Right. So using the analogy of white light, you can split white light into as many colours, and the primary colours here are science, religion, philosophy, and art, of course. Right. And so, I mean, so the, the, we've got, we've got in, the, in the series is there are actually four books. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so I just wonder, could you take us, just give us to how you've broken down, how you, how you put the human back into humanity? Yes, that's... Um, yes, how I'll have you broken that, that down? Uh, the way I've done it uh, is first to provide an overall panoramic survey of the whole field of science and philosophy. When I say philosophy, I mean the philosophy on which science is based, materialistic philosophy. Celebrating the achievements of science, and I mean this sincerely, celebrating its achievements, but also showing areas where science is struggling to provide answers, let alone an understanding. And by highlighting the limitations and deficiencies in the scientific paradigm, paradigm viewpoint, this immediately points to the perennial philosophy, the ancient wisdom, by ancient I mean eternal, not just old, and the perennial philosophy has always started from the viewpoint that consciousness is primal and its expression through the various kingdoms of nature is what we see around us. So the human being is, in the truest sense, a spark or a projection of an evolving divine entity that has taken a terrestrial form, but the human being lives in three worlds, not just the terrestrial physical, but the physical, the soul world, the psychic mental world, and the spiritual world as well. So volume one deals with science, its limitations, and the role of the mystery teachings, the perennial philosophy, to fulfill the deficit that science is unable to do. Volume two is taking a microscopic look down into the landscape of the human being, his anatomy and physiology, so to speak, but not his anatomy and physiology in medical terms, which is superbly served by medical science, but his invisible anatomy and physiology, his hidden nature, his unseen nature. So that is looking at the internal landscapes of the human being. And volume three is looking through the telescope at the wider picture, man the measure of all things, situating man within the universe and nature. Volume four is, uh, comprises references, definitions, a glossary and a very substantial index. Mm. Amazing. And so how did you get involved in this topic? I think one of the most uh, fortunate things that ever happened to me, so to speak, is that I was born in Bombay 
in, in the East and educated in the West. So the raw materials are Eastern, the manufacturing happened in the West. So I'm totally au fait and happy in all worlds. It's very important to stress that one is first and foremost a human being. Labels come afterwards. One's religion, one's nationality, all of that comes afterwards. First and foremost, one is a human being. Now, in terms of uh, ethnic background, my, my background is Parsi Zoroastrian. So that's the ancient Iranian going back to the days of the Persian Empire, Cyrus the Great and Darius, of course. Once a great empire, now very few um, in the uh, in the world. My parents bred me, if I can use that word, on mythology and fairy stories. One of the most wonderful things was we didn't have these stupid iPhones and games to play with. So my mother spent many hours reading from Aesop's Fables, which belonged to our great-grandparents. She would read Grimm's fairy tales and later on from Lamb's Tales from Shakespeare. I think it's very important to stimulate the imaginative faculties in a growing child. At school, I went to a Roman Catholic school, but they were incredibly open. And the two books that made a phenomenal impression on me <clears throat> were the uh, Mabarat. This is obviously a child's version, but very, very well written. Bear in mind, I was under the age of 10. And the other book was the Ramayan. And what these two books showed me was the the reality of the paranormal, if I can just put it that way, that there is much more to life than what you can just see, touch and hear. So with that background, I think the ground was fertile then to explore the perennial philosophy as a complement to physical science and unite the two. That being the case, I uh, did a course in astrology and I qualified as an astrologer when I was doing my PhD at the same time. And that again um, showed me the realm of unseen influences that science could not really handle, but which was very real and very demonstrable from uh, different walks of life. Mm. A major, major influence then was joining the Theosophical Society where the esoteric philosophy and the occult sciences were explained in the great books and teachings in tremendous depth and detail. And do you want me to define occult science now? Sure. <laughs> I think it's very important. There's a lot of nonsense talked about witchcraft and all the rest of it. Let's first deal with the esoteric, uh, the, the meaning of the word esoteric. It means with a key. 
a key to what? To unlock hidden vistas. So the esoteric sciences deal with the hidden and unseen realms that are the causal influences, the noumena, the causal influences behind phenomena, behind the objective phenomena. And uh, occult science takes this a step further in dealing with the unseen influences and causal influences behind the physical and psychic and the mental and spiritual realms. So I've always been drawn to the unseen, the invisible and the secret, but it's not enough just to be drawn to them. It's vital to understand them, to understand the theory behind them and also the evidence for those who care to look. And, and, and I guess um, perhaps if we were to just pause there in terms of your background, then someone may guess, a listener may guess that you became um, a spiritual teacher or a professor or an academic. And yet your career um, for 50 years or more mm. has been as um, an engineer and a consultant to the petrochemical, oil, gas, transport and construction industries. Mm. So really as, as almost as, as physical a, um, a job as it gets. It is, Jonathan. It's very important to have your feet on the ground. But I've detected and realised all along that what we see in the physical world is a projection of the higher realms. And one can understand the higher realms by looking at its projection in the physical realms based on the hermetic axiom as above, so below. The wonderful thing about being an engineer, of course, is that one is involved in practical problem solving. You don't have all day and all year. <laughs> you have to solve a problem. You've got to be innovative about it and you've got to be practical about it to deadlines. And I, and I think one of the biggest projects you did was to, was it the ventilation system on the channel tunnel? The, the cooling system. For the the cooling tunnel. system, yeah, right. That's right, yes. So, so how could the, the hermetic axiom affect the work that you did on that? I'm just struggling to see a connection. Right. The, the channel tunnel, we're using the laws of nature all the time. We're using uh, ventilation principles. Well, I mean, we're using um, aerodynamics. And one is making a connection between two continents. And therefore, by making that connection, one is making a connection between two, in a sense, states of consciousness, between the island consciousness of Great Britain and the no longer island consciousness of Europe, even though there's a lot of uh, argument about that. Maybe. And you're still, you're still um, consulting and, um, and working today, even yes. at the age of, is it 75? Yes, that's right, yes. Right. Yes. So what, what keeps you so interested in, in continuing to work in that field? What keeps me interested is uh, engaging with like-minded human beings and uh, realising that um, the 
application of higher principles is how you lead your daily life and how you apply those things in daily life. The spiritual life is the ordinary, so-called ordinary daily life. It's not just going into a cave and monastery. Of course, that has its place. But how you engage in your daily life with people is the acid test of uh, any spirituality. So what would you say if you wanted to see if someone was truly spiritual? Yeah. Um, how would they behave towards another? Well, that's a very good question, Jonathan. They would try first and foremost to access the highest aspect of that individual. So besides all the arguments uh, and the, the conflicts that one inevitably gets involved in in the uh, nitty-gritty of daily life, one would try and understand that behind all that there is a uniting factor, you can say the, the, the higher self, and one would try always to resonate with that highest principle in a person and not get involved in the lower personality aspects. So how would I experience that if I was working with you then, if you were accessing the, the highest part of myself? Um, would that be in a problem that you are facing or... Well, no, but just if we were working together on a project, I'm just... Oh, right. If we were working together on a project and there was a disagreement, obviously, if we get on fine and we agree on everything, the, the question doesn't arise. But um, if there is a fundamental disagreement, one would try and understand where you are coming from. And not only that, relate that to the wider good and the wider benefit and try and unite our divergent viewpoints towards a common goal. And it's very important to have diverging viewpoints. That's very important. Divergence doesn't mean conflict. And one of the best examples of uh, harmony is, is music. Harmony is not just uh, sweet sounds. It's the coming together of concord and dissonance. It's the dissonance that provides the grit in the oyster's mouth that provides the driving force. Mm. But when I say high, higher self, and that sounds a bit, um, that can almost sound a little patronizing, uh, I'm, what I'm saying is I would try my best not to descend to the level of arguing at the level of personality and little petty issues, but to try and understand where you are coming from and where you are leading and bring us together in that sense. Right. Lovely. That's fantastic. And, and so, so just thinking about the, so you've had all these, you've had an extraordinary life um, of, of a combination of the, of as physical and as, as an, as a, almost as, as scientific or mathematical as you can get in terms of practical engineering projects um, at the highest, at the most complex level that we've got on earth. Um, and yet you've also had a, not a parallel life, but a complementary life of, of spiritual interaction and study. Um, and so I'm just wondering how those forces combine to prompt you to want to write such an extraordinary work. That 
could be a bit like asking a composer what made you want to write a piece of music. Um, not that I'm comparing myself with the great composers, far from it. It is an internal urge. I think that if one has an ulterior motive, one's doing it for the wrong reason. Now, let's be clear about this. If one were writing a book on the latest surgical techniques, obviously there has to be an audience for that. There has to be a ready market. There has to be a clear ulterior motive. You're not writing it for yourself. You're trying to teach other people. But for something like this, it's an internal welling up of the love of wanting to transmit what one has experienced all one's life and what one simply loves doing. And if you love doing it, you have to express it. If you love someone or something, you have to express it. But then very interestingly, the purpose behind writing became very, very clear during the pandemic. What was always implicit became very explicit and I knew exactly why I was writing this, which was really, as I said earlier, to show that science on its own, on its own, is completely unqualified to answer to the deeper questions of life and the disintegration we're seeing around us, literally, is absolute proof of that. I'll make the point very strongly that none of the great teachers of any religion, of any race, any time, ancient or modern, ever wasted their life energy and time inventing economic schemes, technological ideas, commercial um, arrangements or anything like that to solve the suffering and ills of the world. They were supremely practical. They obviously realized the importance of commerce and economics, but first and foremost, they realized that it was man's character that needed purifying and healing. And it's only a man's character that can result in the right use of e e uh, of um, economy uh, economics and commercial arrangements and monetary schemes hmm. i mean typically very simply uh, the laser beam is a wonderful uh, lasers are a wonderful device one can use lasers and i've seen it at the morpheus hospital for the most incredible corneal surgery at the micro level but obviously one can use lasers to guide bombs. Now, how you use the laser, it's not the fault of science, it's man's character that will determine how physical nature and science will be used. Which is why the great teachers put the emphasis on man's character. Mm. And so if we get, if I, I wouldn't say if you get the character right, but if a character is... Is consistent with with spiritual or higher mm -hmm. teachings or or a desire to want what's best for you as well as for me then i will use science and technology appropriately in a way that serves us both rather than just myself absolutely right yes science used wisely will be the physical release and salvation of man 
science used unwisely will be his downfall. And I find it pathetic now to hear um, one of the leading uh, spokesmen from, from Russia boasting that you only need four missiles, they, they so-called Satan missiles, to wipe out the whole of the United States. Now, thinking of consciousness, Russia is a great country. It's a great country. It's produced wonderful art, a wonderful science, tremendous music, tremendous literature. And to think that the spokesman of a great country, all he can do is boast about obliterating the United States is a pathetic indictment of the mentality of that regime and its spokesman. Mm. Yeah. If all you can do is boast about blowing the United States up or reducing the UK to radiative rubble, what sort of mentality is that? Yeah. And, and I, I would say it's the opposite of what you're promoting in, in your work and I think in your life, which is the essence of, of the creative energy or the creative yes. force or love, however we want to mm. want to describe it, is, mm. is a desire to contribute to to the you know to the wonderful harmony that yes. can exist, whether it's through your expression on your Steinway mm. um, or in your work of, of creating something beautiful in, in science and engineering. Mm. Um, or in your book, which is a which is one of the most physically compelling books, I think I've I've come across certainly in you know, in a very long time. I mean, we had the had the wonderful privilege of taking a look at you, um, at one of your works of art that's that's also a book just um, just now, um, but it's really within the within the tradition of of a you know of a of a Manly P Hall or secret teachings, mm. but on a on a modern version, isn't it? So. So looking at this this work, do you have, you, I mean, you had that desire to express mm. what was inside you, that love for, for the, you know, your experience that you've had and, and the transformation you've experienced in your life. Um, do you have an ideal reader um, for this work? Yes, I've uh, described a, a range of readers, but the, the ideal reader would be someone who genuinely appreciates what science if not technology have given us but who sees that there is something more to it than that who is uneasy about what's going on and wants to find deeper answers and especially is asking questions like why am i here what's the purpose of my existence if there is such a thing as evolution where am i going so that ideal reader would be in a university, say, or in um, an organisation like the Temenos Academy, certainly the Theosophical Society, the Anthroposophical Society, the Steiner. But you need not be there at all. It could be um, a solitary researcher or a networker who is asking deeper questions and wanting to find answers to what he is finding rather confusing in the world around him. Mm. Fantastic. And, and what do you hope um, your readers will get from, from reading experience and, and experiencing the book? Yes, I hope they can un now understand that the brain does not generate consciousness that we 
our human system is like a divine musical instrument and that we are the filters and transducers and the expressors of consciousness. So at that level, I hope they can understand that the dogma in scientism that the brain generates consciousness is simply not true. The other uh, more profound message is quite literally that the growth and evolution of humanity is literally limitless, that the growth and evolution of our soul is literally limitless. And the only limits we put are the limits we put on ourselves, because each man in the truest sense, is his own lawgiver. The, his own lawgiver, he who gives suffering or joy to himself. And one of my favourite sayings is uh, by the great Franz Liszt, when he was asked, what is the purpose of life? He said, to approach, I'm paraphrasing, to approach our maker without any consideration of the limits that our human weakness puts on us. With no consideration of our weakness, we must strive to approach our maker, meaning to approach our source, our point of origin, the divine consciousness, our limitless potentiality. That, that may be one of the most inspiring things I've heard in a very long time. Um, and the idea of being able to approach um, your maker in such a, I guess, a fearless way um, and just such a courageous thing, um, it's just amazing. So, um, is it, I mean, I, I don't know what someone does after producing what can only be described as a magnus opus um, for this, but what are you working on now? The work must always go on, Jonathan. This is only a temporary staging post. <laughs> It is important, you know, I will carry on writing, but not to write from theory or concepts. I've got to experience it before I put pen to paper, and I like to say pen to paper rather than fingers on keyboard. <laughs> there are terse chapters on evolution and um, the divine forces in the human being. I would like to unpack the uh, chapters on evolution, but not by copying from the book, really to unpack it and to show the wider scenario in a less concentrated a form that uh, is, mm. isn't there. But equally to emphasize, and I have done that in the, in the books, but even more so, the, the role of art and music because music has been an absolutely central part of my life. And I've been practicing the piano <laughs> almost daily from the age of five or whatever. Mm. And, and I mean, and clearly, so if we just, um, so people watching, mm. so this is, um, this is your music room with um, images of the great composers and artists and it's a stunning mm. style, which I hope we get to hear in a, in a little while. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, um, 
of how music has affected you or helped you experience life. Yes. How would you, how could you describe that? Oh gosh. How mu music has af affected me by way of constant inspiration, by way of a conduit. That's the best way I can put it. The conduit between this world and the greater world. When you, you're, when you never get fed up, in fact, you want to hear the great works ever more and ever more deeply, you realise that these great works are rooted in the divine. Mm. Yes, and I guess and we've also got the, that unity of all your work in mathematics and engineering yes. and expressed through mm. music which is a you know the yes, wonderful... music uh, and mathematics go very well together yes mm. um, so eddie where can people find out more about your work and about the book about the book i think uh, the the best uh, uh, focal point is shepherd and walwyn uh, their website and uh, i have my own website which is due to come uh, online, but I think it would be more practical to work through uh, the publishers. Mm. Brilliant. I think that would be a, a simpler approach at the moment. Yeah. Well, Eddie, thank you much for your time. I'm I'm very much looking forward to the, mm. I, get, I guess, a series of interviews we're going to do to take readers through each of the books mm -hmm. um, in turn. Um, and as I'll say just to the readers, it's just the most extraordinarily typeset book um that i've read and, mm -hmm. and and even though this topic is is probably the deepest that i've ever come across and um, the clarity of your arguments and the, the the time and the care you've taken to help someone to to navigate the topics um again is a is is worthy of someone spending the 20 years and and the 10 years of intensive work that i know mm -hmm. you've spent on it so thank you jonathan so thank you very and much I'm and deeply grateful to all the support i've had from Shepard Walwyn, from my typesetter, from my copy editor. And um, it's extraordinary how everyone seems to be in sync with the central purpose uh, behind uh, what I've written. Mm. Brilliant. So to take it out, Eddie, would you be willing to, um, mm. to play as a, something on your piano? How long? Um, how about a, a minute or two? A minute or two, all right. Thank you.
Thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for watching this video. To explore these ideas further, be sure to visit shepherdwalwin.com and join our mailing list for news and special offers. Check out our authors and buy the books to learn more. And you can also find us on social media. Links are in the description box. So please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's surprisingly helpful in getting our ideas out. So until next time, keep reading.